Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great. So my name is Baba Tunji. Um, I'm called Baba. Uh, I think that's easier. Um, together with my wife, we've been here um, for about three years. Um, and we've been warmly welcomed into the Gateway family. We've been thoroughly blessed. We're very grateful for the relationships that we've had. And also, I wanted to say thank you to the leadership for this privilege to be standing in front of you for the first time today. So we've been looking at the book of Ruth for the past four weeks, and we're going to be reading the book of Ruth in a moment. They're going to be bringing it up. So I thought you guys, um, you could encourage me by us reading the Bible together. Is that okay? Yeah. Is that okay? Yes. Is that okay? Yes. Okay, so if you could bring up... Uh, so we're going to start from the last verse of chapter 3. If you could bring it up, please. So um, I'm going to say one, two, go, and then we're all going to read together, okay? One, two, go. Amen. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here this morning. And Lord, we thank you because your word says, where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in our midst. We thank you for the strong presence of your Holy Spirit this morning. And as we go into your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will open our eyes. And Lord, we pray that you will speak into situations and circumstances. Lord, we ask that we will leave this place knowing we've met with you and you will be glorified. Amen. Amen. Right. So the past four weeks, we've looked at um, Ruth chapter 1, 2, and 3, and today is going to be the last um, Sunday on this topic. So we've looked at these three, well, Ruth is centered around these three characters. Um, now, the, the main characters are Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. We've gone through the story of how there was famine, they went to a foreign land, um, the husband died, the two sons died. And then she became bitter. She was really angry with God. She decided she was going to go back. And she had two um, daughter-in-laws. One went with her. The other one went back. We journeyed through all of this. Um, Last week, um, what really struck me last week was things around standing out, taking risks. We came out. We responded to, to the word. But I just wanted us to take off from where we stopped. So in the last verse of that chapter 3, Naomi made a promise to Ruth, and she said, the man is not going to rest, that today the matter is going to be settled. And that sort of set the scene for what we saw in chapter 4. Chapter 4 starts with Boaz going up to the gate. And in those times, the gate was where the decision was made, and we've heard that Boaz appeared to have been a very influential man. But one of the first things that struck me as I was preparing for this was the fact that in the book of Ruth, we've spoken so much about God's providence, the hand of God working. Um, Ruth went out to glean in the field, and for some reason that I'll say is the hand of God, she found herself in the field of Boaz. Now, as we go through chapter 4, we'll see that when Boaz wanted to take action, the king's man that we don't know his name, he happened to be coming by. But 
the point I wanted to make around this is the fact that, let's say yesterday, Ruth and Naomi decided, okay, we're going to stage a plan. You're going to go to the um, threshing floor. You do this, you do that. And then Boaz makes a promise in chapter 3, I think verse 11, that I will do to you as you've said. And long and short, in a space of 24 hours, so a, a set of people that started their journey from sorrow, dejection, widowhood, everything was going down. They had nothing. They were even going to sell their land. It was the grain that they got that they were going to feed on. By the time we got to the end of chapter 4, we see the widowed being married. We see the barren woman having a child. But the transition, the change, everything happened in a 24-hour window. And that was as a result of the action that Ruth and Naomi took. And it's all very good sometimes for us to look at these stories, we read it, and sometimes we zero in on the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. Uh, can we have the next, the next slide, please? Yeah, so we're going to be talking a lot about providence, the hand of God, and I thought, okay, rather, what does it really mean? You know, sometimes in church, we throw words around, and I thought I'll look up the meaning. And it says, the protective care of God, or of nature, as a spiritual power, so we see the hand of God walking through this story. Boaz steps up to the gate. He was waiting there. And it looks like as he came from the threshing floor, he just went straight to the gate. He never really went home, true to what Naomi had said. And then he saw this, the, the kinsman that was closer. He happened to be passing by at that particular moment. And I was really, really thinking about it. So yes, he had made the promise. They had said today was going to happen. But what if that man never showed up on that day? What if he was sick? What if something else had happened? But here again, we see the hand of God working. And there's this song we've been singing, I don't know for how many months in church, that even when I don't see, we sang it this morning again, you know. God is always working, is always working. I think one of the things, even if you've not been with us from the start of the series, is in everything we go through in life, in everything that's happening to us, God is always working. Now, sometimes it doesn't look like it. Sometimes our situations don't really make sense, but I just want someone to remember today, even if you don't remember anything that all the other preachers have said, in everything we go through, in everything that's happening to us, God is always working and his hand is there. Now, it may not look like it. It may not really be the way we thought it was going to be because put yourself in the... um, scenario where the ladies were, I mean Naomi and Ruth. Obviously, we are reading at the end. We saw what happened. So we could be tempted to just sort of skip through it and go to the end. Oh, God. Sometimes in church, we, I think this morning we said God is good um, at the prayer meeting. Sometimes we just say, but when life really throws challenges in our face, can we really say, do we believe God is good? And can we really say God is good? I'll leave you to think think about that. Going back, going back to the story, God's hand was at work again, and that meant Boaz was able to get 10 elders. They came together, and I just wanted us to look at this kinsman that was closer. He happened to be going by, and then they called him to say, oh, there was this land that they were going to sell. You have to redeem it. By the way, 
in, in, I think, Leviticus 25 or something, this was what they were meant to do culturally. So um, as part of their culture, if someone died, his sons took over. If there was nobody else, the family members that were closer had to step in. And as I was really looking at this kinsman, I was asking myself, how come... So Boaz said he's closer, but how come it was the person that was not closer that had to be telling him about his responsibilities, about his actions? Where was he? What kind of man was this man? And we're going to see the kind of man he is, he is in a minute. So they made a presentation to him to go, there is a land. Are you interested? Do you want to buy the land? And he goes, well, no problem. I'm going to buy the land without thinking about it. And there is the school of thought that he wanted that land to himself because he knew Naomi didn't have any son. She didn't have any grandson. Very soon, Naomi was going to die. And he was just being selfish. So saying I wanted to buy it was all part of his selfish um, nature. But we see Boaz introduced the marriage of Ruth which was the key thing for Ruth and Naomi, really, which was all about that redemption. When he introduced that concept, straight away, the man said, no, I'm not interested because of the inheritance of my children. And that goes, again, to show the kind of person he was. He never cared for the widow. He never cared for the needy. And I think it was when we were doing Ruth to that, we were talking about using our resources, things that we have, to use them for, for people that are in need. Journeying through, through this story, we notice the book of Ruth seems to be in twos for some reason. You had two sons. You had two daughter-in-laws. Now, one daughter-in-law went back. Another one went forward. Then, now, we... if. If you read that book of Ruth, you start seeing this kinsman, redeemer, kinsman, redeemer, kinsman, redeemer. And sometimes the focus is all on Boaz. But really, there were two kinsmen here. And when you look closely at that, what comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 15, where there was a first kinsman, redeemer, and a second kinsman, redeemer. And all of a sudden, you know, when we really look at this book of Ruth, it's such a beautiful book. It, it's a book that almost everywhere you turn, everywhere you look at it, that is just so loaded. And talking about the first king's man and the second king's man, in the Bible, we have the first Adam that was all about damnation. We had the second Adam that was about salvation. We had an Adam that was selfish. We had the second Adam in terms of Jesus that was selfless. Um, we had someone that was not thinking about the future. We had someone else that was thinking about the future. When we look closely at Boaz, Boaz is like Jesus, effectively. Why? He redeemed, he redeemed Ruth and um, Naomi and married them. And how does this um, sort of relate to us. Can we have um, Galatians 3, please? So, Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the self-defeating cost life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cost is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a cost and at the same time dissolved the cost. 
I think it's right for us to just ponder what, what, what does redemption mean? What does redeeming mean? Now, redemption in those days was all about paying off someone's debt, redeeming them from slavery, redeeming them from poverty, redeeming them from shame, redeeming them from powerlessness. Because if they had a power of their own, they would have done the thing that they needed to do themselves. Now, we are gathered here every Sunday. We call ourselves Christians. We say we are followers of Christ. What exactly? Why, why do we? Why are we not in bed on a Sunday morning? Why are we not enjoying ourselves? It's all around what Jesus did for us. And that was him dying on the cross for us. I acknowledge um, there is a spectrum for um, everybody here. Some people have been Christians for 50 years. Some don't even know what we're talking about. I think it's worth us pausing and acknowledging that there was somebody that came into this world 2,000 years ago. He died for all of our sins. And not only did he die for our sins, even about our health, he made provisions for our health. The Bible says by his stripes we were healed. And not only that, he made provisions for what we'll eat. The Bible says um, even though he was not poor, but he became poor so that we could be rich. And as we look at the story that just seems the story of a, another family. This was depicting what was going to happen further down the line and it was all about what Jesus was going to do for us. So I wanted us to just take a moment to acknowledge the fact that somebody's paid the price for our lives, somebody's paid the price for our sin and we're really not alone. There is a price on our lives. You and I were worth so much to God and that's why he's given his son to come and die for our sins. Hallelujah. So going back to the book of um, Ruth, Boaz tells the man, you've got to marry Ruth. And he says, no, I I can't do that because of my selfish interest. Boaz says, okay, if you wouldn't do it, I will do it. And then he had to say, oh, everyone, you have witnesses. And the story sort of just goes on until we get to the point where he marries Ruth, and the Bible says God gave them a child, and the child was the great-grandfather of David. How many people know about David in the Bible? Oh, I thought, how many people know about David in the Bible? Good. So David was a big character in the Bible, and not just that, that was the lineage through which Jesus came. Now, The book of Ruth is about people just living their lives day in, day out. But the decisions they took affected generations unborn. And someone says decisions determine destiny, ultimately. So the challenge for us is we're living our lives, we're doing what we feel like doing. We sometimes forget that there is a generation coming there is a, a generation that whatever we do or we don't do goes a long way in affecting what really happens to them. But before going into all of that, if we, if we go back into, into this story of Ruth, it was, it was all about sadness. It was all about loss. And for a minute, 
if you think about it, the point at which they were saying, are you going to redeem them? He goes, yes. Will you marry Ruth? He goes, no. Sometimes we're believing God for something. Our faith is really high. It looks like that thing is coming. We can really sense it's around the corner. And what happens sometimes? Um, it just seems like things get in the way. It doesn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen. That was where Ruth found herself. But I just wanted to bring an encouragement to people because I acknowledge we're all at different stages in life. Different things are happening to different people. Relationship, marriage, job, school, career. All sorts of things happen. And sometimes we think, oh, if only people knew what, what I'm going through. If only people know what my problems are. But I have um, good news Good news for you. Can we have the next slide, please? Um, so I just wanted to read um, Isaiah 43, verse 2. And this says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. The next one, please. And um, I thought I'll read it in another um, version. It says, when you are in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I'm God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'll sell the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. I think there is an encouragement for someone that's feeling, oh, this is not going the way I thought it was going to go. Life is not going the way I expected. This is what God is saying to you this morning. And, and you notice, it actually says when you go through. So every one of us, as long as we are living, we are going to go through peaks and valleys. So we might as well settle that. It's not always going to be hilltop experience. We're not always going to be happy. Some people are going through challenges now. If you're not going through it, great. But if you're going through challenges, this is God's promise to you that you will not be overwhelmed. He's going to be with you. He's going to see you through. And notice it says when you pass through. So passing through means there is another side for you to come out on. And looking at the story of Ruth and Naomi, they've gone from sorrow, from dejection, from hopelessness, coming out on the other end as having a son that was like the great-grandfather of David. Have we really stopped to think for a minute, what if Ruth never went to that threshing floor and lifted the skirt of Boaz. Because God is sovereign. God has got his hand in everything that's happening in our life. But my challenge to us this morning is we can't always sit back and put all the responsibility on God. Sometimes we've got to make a move in whatever shape or form that looks like. And I just wanted to read a few scriptures for, for us to see where this has been depicted. Now, we all know the story of Moses and the children of Israel living 
Egypt. So they got to the Red Sea. The Egyptians were behind them. And this was God that had done 10 miracles in Egypt. He had shown different signs and all of that. But Moses was crying to God, God, there is a problem in front. There is a problem behind me. I'm sandwiched in between here. What do I do? And look at what God said to Moses. God says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. God said to Abraham, um, leave your people, leave your country to a land I will show you. And guess what? The next verse said, Abraham departed. Now we see this story repeated in various forms throughout the Bible where people are to take one form of action or the other for them to get the miracle that they were waiting for. So I'm challenging someone this morning. I'm saying, Moses was waiting for God. God was saying, why are you crying to me? Why don't you make that move? And last week we were talking about taking risks. And what is faith? Faith is acting even when you don't see the whole picture. So I see, I think there is a theme here. God speaking to us last week about standing out, taking risks. And here we are talking about we've got to take action for the promises of God to come to pass. And if you, I mean, this morning we woke up, I think the car said it was about 11 degrees. You could see that there seems to be a change coming. Obviously, we know um, summer is going away. We're going into a new season. There's a lot of things happening in the world, in the spiritual world, in the physical world. And I had this strong sense that God is saying, I've given you Jesus. He's died for your sin. He's done everything. Now, I need people in the world to show the world the way. I need people that are going to be my eyes. I need people that are going to be my ears, my hands. I need people that are going to be light in the darkness of this world. And the challenge to you and I is, what are we doing? Are we going to sit down and wait for the future to happen? Or are we going to do something about the promises of God? No matter what, what that may be. For some of us going through very tough times, we've established the fact that we're going to come through. But are we going to come through having done everything right? Or while we're waiting, are we going to be complaining? Are we going to be begrudging God? You know, Naomi said in chapter 1, don't call me Mara because God had left me. But by the time we get to chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, God has not left you. So it's all about how you see it. While going through whatever we're going through, are we going through knowing that there is a God whose hand is working over everything? Which means I'm going to come out on the other side and therefore I'm not going to be weary, I'm not going to be dejected, I'm not going to be sorrowful about all of this. But I'm going to do it in hope that things are going to happen. And that will be the action that God is expecting from some of us. Just being grateful, just being glad for the fact that things are not worse than they are. And for some of us, we've been praying, God, there is this red sea in front of me. And God is saying, why are you crying to me? You know, do something about that situation. Do, you know, when the prophet said to a lady to go and get jars of oil in Second Kings or something, the amount of pots that were filled 
was based on how many she could get. And at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, you know, Jesus told them, fill the pot with water, take it out and serve. And between doing what Jesus had said, there was a miracle. So we can begin to see a theme that the miracle we're looking for, the legacy, which is what the story is about really, from hopelessness to legacy, the lineage of Jesus. That big thing, God has promised us it's a new era. Some of us have had specific words from God. We've been spoken over, there have been prophecies. But that big thing that is going to take God to bring to pass, are we doing anything about it? Now, there is, there is a story in Second Kings 6 um, slash 7. There was famine in Israel to the point where parents started eating their own children. And then um, the prophet of God came on the scene in Second Kings 7 and said, there is going to be abundance. Now, the person that knew the way things worked said, even if God was to open the windows of heaven, these things, it's, it's not possible. And God sort of just spoke to me there that, some of the things that God has in plan for our lives, they are bigger than our heads can comprehend. And we've just been limiting God. We've been boxing God. We've been using our finite mind to try and define the infinite God, which is never going to work. In that story, we all remember that there were four lepers who said, if we see, do we have that on the screen? Second Kings 7. I think verse 2 or 3. Is that on the slide? Yeah. Oh, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go back to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. And they carried off gold and silver and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered into another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Now, if we know anything about the children of Israel, lepers were outcast. They sat outside of the gate. They were not really welcome. Now, if God was going to do a miracle, the lepers were the unlikely people. And I think some of us, God has spoken to us. Some of us, we've had great words from God. But sometimes we ask why me? I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm a woman. You, we just come up with all sorts of excuses. God is challenging us through these four lepers that if God can use the four lepers, God can use you. Can I get amen? If God can use the four lepers, God can use you. And before you think too far that you are not qualified, you can't do what God has told you to do, if you look at that lineage of um, David, there was reference to Tamar. Who is Tamar? Someone that tricked her father-in-law to sleep with her father-in-law. And then you look at Boaz. Boaz's mom was, um, um, what's her name now? It escaped me. It, sorry? Rahab. Rahab, yeah. 
Boaz's mom is real. She was not even a, I think she was a prostitute or something. Okay. And then we look at um, Ruth. This is someone that was from a tribe that God was against. I'm just trying to say, don't rule yourself out of what God has counted for you. If, if these people could be in the lineage of Jesus, God can still use you and God can still do what he has promised unto you. So don't be discouraged. Just know that the God that we serve, it can turn situation around. And while talking about timing, doing things when you should do it, I know there might be some other people that are feeling, oh, I've missed my opportunity. I've missed my time. And guess what? While many of us are not looking forward to winter, but without that winter, there's not going to be another summer. So God that has brought the last summer is going to bring another summer. So there's going to be restoration for someone here today. Amen? Amen. As we begin to round off um, this story of Ruth that we've been looking at for the past four weeks, we see that clearly trust, obedience, action was a recurring theme that was going on in the book of um, Ruth. From Ruth trusting her mother-in-law, obeying everything that she said to her and all of that. So my challenge to us this morning, and you know what, you could tell us as much as you like that you believe God and you're trusting in God. But if you are not, obe- if you are not obedient to those instructions, then you don't really trust in God. And I've got here that the real proof that you trust in God is your act of obedience. And the real proof of that obedience is the action. As we look at some of the examples we've given about Moses, about the lepers, about all of this, I feel God is challenging us. And the church is going through a new era. People are going into schools. Different things are happening about this time of year, university, new job, and all these things. As we come into this place of newness, God is challenging us to trust in him, obey him, and take action. Um, Can we rise to our feet? So in a moment, I'm going to ask that the band will come back um, to play for us. I don't know what happened um, as I've spoken. Maybe you are the person that thinks, oh, I've missed the opportunity, and I'm saying there is another opportunity for you. Or you're just here, you want to say, God, I'll trust you. That difficult situation, that impossible situation, I want to lay it down before you. I want to trust you with it. Or you're just even here saying, God, the actions are so impossible. I can't process it in my head, but I'm just going to take the first step. Ruth took the step of going to the threshing floor, and on that same day, within 24 hours, destiny was changed. Destiny was created. And as I was thinking about it, so, some, some, I was discussing something with my wife that even if you look at people in their 30, 40, 50, 60s, people that are not in church, Sometimes they say to you, my nan used to take me to church. My mom used to take me to church. My dad used to take me to church. And I'm asking myself the question. These people had a Sunday school foundation, which means, yes, they do wander off, but it's easier for them to come back home. How many Sunday schools do we still have? How many children, the millennials or the under-10s, how many of them 
have been exposed to the things of God. And while we may think like the king's man, it doesn't matter. But you know, his name was never mentioned in the Bible because it will not take up the challenge. His destiny was written off, kind of, because we never heard about him again. Upper decided to go back. We never heard of her again. Whereas somebody decided to do the things of God and 2,000 years later on, we're hearing about them. So the question is, where are those moms, where are those grandmas that took these children to church? Where are the fathers to sit down and show the children the way of God? We're just so busy chasing after our jobs. And God is not against us doing our job, but beyond the what we'll eat, what we'll drink, I feel there is also a challenge about the kingdom of God. If Jesus tarries in the... I mean, we're singing hymns that were written 200 years ago, 300 years ago. What hymn is sitting in this congregation that has not been written? What books are sitting here that we've not written the first page for God to then come and help us write the whole page? What stories are meant for children that somebody's just bottled up, they refuse to express it? I think God is challenging us to rise up for the kingdom, to take steps for the kingdom, and to do things that have eternal consequences, not just about now, not just about our family, but for generations to come. So as the band plays, if the Lord's laid anything on your heart, you want prayer for anything, please feel free to come forward. And um, yeah, thank you very much.